So like we said, this morning is, is Palm Sunday, and that's why the cedar boughs are here at front. At uh, the beginning of the story, when people would come into Jerusalem, uh, crowds would form and they would grab palm branches as a way of waving them and celebrating and saying, Hosanna is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. But this is also, the church has also taken this Sunday to, uh, to make it Passion Sunday as well. But this is a Sunday when the church focuses on the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Churches across uh, North America, around the world today, are celebrating and talking about the crucifixion about Jesus' death on the cross. And I have to tell you, this week, as I've been studying, uh, on the one hand, I was really excited. Uh, studying these passages, studying not only uh, the scriptures, uh, but Matthew's scripture and the way that he recorded it for, uh, about Jesus' crucifixion. On the one hand, it's really exciting because I am reading this text uh, and there's all these amazing things happening, amazing connections to the Old Testament, prophecies coming true, and so on the one hand, I'm excited. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm terrified. Honestly, I'm terrified. Because I am studying uh, Matthew's gospel, recounting Jesus' crucifixion. And there's all these important themes and all these things that I want to say and feel like we need to say. Not only that, but he's talking about the most amazing event that has happened in human history. And now I'm going to try and get up and preach about it. So on the one hand, I'm terrified because I want to get it right. I want us to hear these words in our lives to be transformed. I want our lives to change. The thing is, I know that sometimes I blow it. You know, sometimes I read a passage of Scripture and it feels amazing to me. It feels like this is the sort of thing that's going to change people's lives. And then I get up here and I preach and it feels like about a B, maybe even a C, in terms of how it comes out. And so this week I've been praying, and I've been fasting, and I've been preparing, reading God's word, that this morning as we explore this text, as we read this passage, that it would change our lives. But I've also been thinking that I would like some help from you. Because sometimes we live in an entertainment age, that um, I'd like help from you, that one, that you come this morning, and right now, that do you give some thought to your mindset? Are you approaching this moment, me standing here preaching, are you waiting for me to say something impressive? Are you evaluating? Or have you come listening for the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Even if I, so even if I were to totally bomb and mess it up, that you would still hear something out of this passage. So that you come this morning with a different mindset, not evaluating, did I like what he said or not, but actually asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, please speak to me this morning. The other thing that I would suggest, too, is that you take notes. And if you look in your bulletin, uh, the bulletin has changed. Um, mine went missing. That's right here. It fell out. <clears throat> the bulletin has changed a bit. <clears throat> I noticed uh, a few weeks ago uh, one of the sermons uh, that I had preached, Tracy had notes, <clears throat> but they were all over. They were in the margins, they were between, between words because I had these questions to help reflect on the passage, and I realized there were no places to take notes on the sermon. Uh, I'm just looking at mine here. This is why I couldn't find it. Corbin was already taking notes, drawing pictures uh, in the notes section. But I encourage you to take notes today. So I have the passage on the left, 
There's, there's a, a place to take notes on the right. The reflection and the questions are on the back if you end up working on these, these af this afternoon or later this week. So they're out of the way. But I encourage you to take notes this morning. If you hear something, some realization that you have, write it down. Or if you want to, follow the outline of the sermon so that you are actively engaged, sucking every bit you can out of the sermon, getting everything that God has available in this text. So I invite you to take notes. The other thing I would say, I would ask that we pray, uh, that we pray that we would hear God's word this morning. Um, so I, would someone be willing to pray for us this morning as we begin, that we would hear God's word? Great, Tina, thanks. Or, Thanks, Jim. So, let's go. Let's get into this passage this morning. All right, so like I mentioned before, I started this week uh, underwater. I started uh, reading this passage, uh, actually all of Matthew chapter 27, translating the Greek into the English, trying to get at what is happening here. And I have to tell you, I was overwhelmed. <clears throat> By Tuesday, I'm looking at Jesus' interaction with Pilate, I'm looking at the interaction between him and, and Barabbas, and my head is swimming. I'm thinking, how am I ever going to preach this? How am I ever going to get this down into a sermon? And so much so that I was thinking of, you know, that, at, well, at very least it was a bit comforting because I was thinking is that for 2,000 years, the brightest minds in the Christian, in, in the church, have been trying to get to the bottom of the crucifixion, and they still haven't got there. So that on the one hand, it was encouraging, but also it was a bit daunting because there are brilliant people who have studied this very passage for decades, and they're still realizing what is happening here at the crucifixion. And so I met with Walter. We meet on Wednesdays uh, to pray, and you are invited. Anyone is welcome to come to that? I realize I'm stomping the, the cedar boughs into the carpet. Um, uh, yeah. All right, I just won't stand there. Uh, I was praying with Walter on Wednesday and asking, Walter, would you please pray for me this week um, because I need help with this. And so thankfully, Walter and I, we prayed. And that afternoon, I came home and it hit me. I realized where we needed to spend the time. To spend time realizing, to spend time focusing on the fact that Jesus, oh, thanks, Trace. Jesus has set us free. Man, you're so much more effective. I can just... Focus on, especially uh, verses 45 to 54, that Jesus has set us free. He set us free from the pain of sin and the fear of death. The thing is, before we start talking about that, we have to talk honestly. We have to talk honestly as a church family. We have to talk about sin. We have to talk about death. Things that we do our best to avoid. See, these are two huge issues that everybody deals with. All of humanity deals with sin and with death. They become prisons for us. Our, uh, the pain of sin and our fear of death become like a prison. The thing is, 
They start talking about the pain of sin. Nobody wants to do that. It's not something that we like to talk about. If you're visiting today, you're thinking, oh great, here's the part where the pastor tries to guilt me into following Jesus. Or if you've been following Jesus for a while, you've been a part of this church family, you're thinking, oh great, here's the part where Jason tries to guilt me into following Jesus better. The thing is, in order for us to appreciate the cross, what's happening there, we have to talk about sin and its pain. Just to be clear, sin is anything that we do against the will of God. Any Sin is anything we do that goes contrary to the way he's taught us to live in his word. See, the thing is, we know the right thing to do. We've been following Jesus for a while. We know the things that we should be doing. We know that yelling at our husband is hard on our marriage. It wrecks it. And we think about that even as we hear ourselves raising our voice. We know, husbands, that looking at pornography would break our wife's heart. And we realize that even as we're clicking through the images. We realize that drunkenness, God said, do not do that. And we realize the trouble that drunkenness causes in our life. And we think about that as we pour ourselves another drink. We know that we shouldn't judge people. We know how it separates boundaries between us and them and even, even uh, makes it hard for them to come to God because we're so judgmental of them. We know that even as we look down our noses at someone who is just scraping by trying to put together a meal for today. We know that we're supposed to share. God has blessed us with amazing uh, wealth amazing things here, amazing life. We know that we're supposed to share. And we think about that even as we throw our compassion gift guide into the garbage, doing nothing about it. The thing is, the pain of sin, it wrecks our lives. It wrecks our relationships with other people. It puts boundaries between us and others. It causes pain on a horizontal level. But not only that, but it causes pain on a vertical level as well between us and God. Sin wrecks all of our relationships. I was thinking about this this week that uh, sin, not only does it affect our relationships with other people, our church family, people around us, it affects our relationship with God. Every time we go against him, every time we go against what he's taught us to do, the way he's taught us to live, it's like putting another brick in this ceiling between us and him until we have this wall we feel like we're cut off from God. Sin separates us from God. Refusing to follow God, rebelling against him, puts distance between us and him. Puts barriers between us and him. So not only does sin affect our relationships with each other on a horizontal level, it affects our relationship with God on a vertical level. And if that weren't enough, sin comes with consequences. It always does. Sometimes they're minor. Sometimes they're huge. I mean, think about the consequence of drunk driving and killing someone. Think about the consequence of divorce and how it tears apart a family. Think about the consequence of addiction and how it leaves us alone with nothing. Think about the consequence of pride. 
how it keeps putting barriers between us and other people. Sin comes with consequences. There's pain in sin. And we keep finding ourselves trapped by it, right? Do our best to follow God, and yet we still find ourselves trapped in sin. We try to work hard to do the right thing, and we feel ourselves getting sucked right back in. It's like we have a ball and chain around our ankle. Worse than that, it's more like we live in a prison and we watch life go by through the bars. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Has anybody else had this experience with sin, with pain of sin in our lives? Yeah. Trouble is, if we if the struggle with sin weren't enough, we also have this fear of death. It's common. And people don't like to talk about it. Our culture tries to do everything we can to avoid it. We've turned the avoidance of death into a fine art. I was thinking about it that I hardly people I hardly ever hear people say that someone has died. They usually say they've passed. The euphemism for death. They've passed. Even in our language, we try to protect ourselves from death. I was thinking about it, how it never used to be like this. And I was thinking about 170 years ago, death was way more a part of life. In 1850, I looked this up, the average lifespan or your life expectancy was 38 to 44 years old. Most of us in this room would be dead. (laughs) Death was way more a part of life. You know, moms died in childbirth. Children died of childhood diseases. Young men and women died on farm, in machinery, in a factory. And if you made it through all that, you were more likely to die in your 40s. Death was a part of life. Not only that, when you died, in in the event you lived in a city, maybe you found your way into a hospital. But most people died at home with their family around them. When someone you loved died, you dug the grave. Maybe even you made the coffin. When you buried them, you backfilled the dirt. There's no escaping death, the finality of it. Think about how different it is now. In 2018, life expectancy is 79 to 81 years old, almost double what it was 170 years ago. Death gets moved to the end of life, way off in the distance. And when people do, and when people do die, die in hospitals, institutions, palliative care. And maybe the family can come to that foreign room Spend it with the time with the hospital bed and all the wires and tubes. And and then when you die, you get a chance to be there to say your last goodbyes, and then they take the body away to a funeral home. A whole industry that cropped up that was made to help us deal with death, to help remove death from our lives. I was thinking about it, that um, so often now, I... I can't even think of the last time 
had a funeral or that I was asked to speak at a funeral. More often, I'm asked to speak at a celebration of life, which there's nothing wrong with celebrating a person's life. There's definitely things to celebrate. But do you hear the difference? Even in the language, we don't have funerals and memorials anymore. We have celebrations of life, almost still a a denial of death. And when I talk about fear of death, I'm not, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe I'm reading this wrong, but I don't talk with most people of being afraid of their own death, usually because we think it's going to be a long time away. We think it's, oh, we've got decades more before that. We have to worry about that. But it's when we start talking about losing a loved one, the death of someone that we care about. That's when fear of death really grabs a hold of us. I feel it in my own life. Uh, with Tracy three years ago, diagnosed with cancer. You know, she's cancer-free now. God has healed her, and I'm grateful. But it has changed the way I see death. It's way more a part of my life now. And even if it's not happening right in your family, it's happening in our church. I mean, last Sunday, Trudy Whelan died. About a month before that, we were here remembering Roxy. And years before that, Morley. Years before that, Jeanette. Being part of a church family means we are part of death. Is anybody else connecting with this fear of death that we feel? Yeah. Where do we find help, right? How do we make it through this? How do we live life with these two huge things, the, the pain of sin and the fear of death? Where do we get help for this? That's why I'm grateful for the Word of God. This last week, studying, reflecting on Jesus and his death on the cross. Before we get into the text, you need to talk just about some of the things that were happening up to the place where we'll read. So, as we talked about, today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. Jesus came into Jerusalem a week before uh, Passover, the festival of Passover. And so Jesus comes in, and then about a week later, he celebrates the Passover meal, the, pa- the festival of Passover. He celebrates it with his disciples, and afterward he goes out to the Garden of Gethsemane where he prays to God, and there... The temple guards, they arrest him and they take him to the Sanhedrin or to the high priest and his officials. And they're all gathered around and they're having this horrible example of a trial, accusing Jesus of all sorts of things. Um, And it's not until the high priest finally asks him, are you the Christ? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? And Jesus literally said, he said, you've said it. And from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Blessed One coming on the, on the clouds of heaven. And at that, the high priest tears his robe. Everybody freaks out, and they take Jesus because they want to kill him. And they take him to Pilate. Pilate is the Roman governor because at this point in, in, in Jewish history or the history of Israel, uh, the whole nation of Israel has been taken over by Rome. And Pilate is the Roman governor. He's like the, the guy who's there to make sure everybody stays in line. And so he's the most powerful guy in the land, and yet he caves to the crowd around him. Because each year at the Passover, he would give one of his prisoners as a gift to the people to kind of keep people happy. 
And so the, the people, the Jewish people there, they're gathered there. They have the chance to take Jesus, the righteous son of God, the, their true king, or Barabbas, a guy who had been caught in a recent uprising. He had killed somebody and he was a thief. And the religious leaders whipped up the crowd and they took Barabbas, the criminal, over Jesus. And so Pilate sends Jesus off to the soldiers where they torture him. They dress him up like a king and then they mock him, make fun of him. And then they take him out to a place called the Skull, Golgotha, the hill of the skull, and they crucify him there. And that's where people are walking by, hurling insults at him, saying things like, come on, you said you were going to destroy this amazing temple and in three days build it again. Why don't you just come off the cross? Show us who you really are. And that's where we pick up our text. It says that uh, it was about the sixth hour until the ninth hour. For us in our time, that means from about noon to 3 p.m. And the thing about 3 p.m. is 3 p.m. is when they brought, the for the Passover festivals, one of the things they would do is bring lambs as a sacrifice. And so that's the very time. When Jesus dies on the cross is at the same time you have all these lambs being sacrificed to God in the temple. So that's where we pick up our text. So if you'd like to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 27, verse 45 to 54, if you want to, it's also in your bulletin if that's easier to read. So listen to this. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he is calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and peered to many people. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Let's pray that we hear God's word. Lord God, we give you thanks for your word. We pray, Lord God, this morning that again we would hear your spirit speak to us. Help us to see everything that there is for us here in this passage. Jesus, this is the, the defining moment of human history. Help us to hear this word. I pray in your name. Amen. So Jesus died on a cross to save us and to set us free. For those of you who have been Christians for a while, you've heard this before. You've heard this story. You've heard words like uh, sacrifice and atonement, that Jesus was a, a blameless, righteous man who took our place and atoned for our sin on the cross. We've heard that before. But maybe if you're new here this morning, you're wondering how does Jesus dying 2,000 years ago, how does that have any effect on my sin today? Well, there are some clues here in our passage. The first one is that Jesus says, Aloi, Aloi, Lama Sabachthani, 
which is Aramaic. You don't have to worry about that. In English, it is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some of you who have been Christians for a while or have studied this passage, you know that right now Jesus is quoting Psalm 22. And there's amazing things about how that psalm adds a layer of understanding to what's happening here because the innocent one is suffering and ultimately is vindicated by God. But I think there's a bigger thing here at play. The first is that Jesus is separated from God. Here on the cross, Jesus is separated from God. Sin always separates. And it's not because it's Jesus' sin. Jesus was righteous. He was the Son of God. He had no sin in him. But he has, in effect, gathered all of the sin, all the sin of all of humanity. He's gathered it together in one place and hung it there on the cross. You see, in, in Israel, leading up to Jesus, they had a temple. And part of the temple, part of keeping God or, or pleasing God or praising God was sacrificing. And so as people would sin and, and rebel against God, as they would hurt one another, sin would build up. And then they would sacrifice an animal. They would put the sin on the animal and sacrifice the animal as a way to make atonement, to make things right between them and God. Because God is holy. He can't just see our sin and say, oh, well, God is holy and just. He can't just do that. Something had to be done. So in the one sense, Jesus has gathered all the sin together in one place, but also in another sense, he is this righteous sacrifice that takes our place. But there's one other element too, one other aspect that I have learned just in the last few years is that in the ancient Israel, the king, or actually most ancient cultures, the king represented the whole people. And so here, Jesus is representing the people of God as the king. And so by him dying, he is representing all those who are, God, who are God's people, all those who would believe into him. So on this cross, Jesus gathers our sin. He who was without sin becomes sin so that we who are sinful might become children of God. He traded places with us. He took our place and died on the cross that we might be saved. So he does all this right as he's saying, as he's dying on the cross. And I think we get a glimpse of it here when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Not only is Jesus talking about Psalm 22, but he's also experiencing this separation from God, the penalty of our sin. He is experiencing it right now. But the thing is, the people around him, they don't get it. I mean, one person, uh, um, they go to get a sponge with wine vinegar as a way to help him, to take pity on him. But everybody else says, no, 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 leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And with that, Jesus cries out in a loud voice. And he gives up his spirit. No one takes it from him. He gives up his spirit. And then, and now we get to watch how God responds. It says, at that moment, the curtain was torn in two. The earth shook and the stones split. The tombs were cracked open. And all the saints, all those people were raised to life. As you're watching the crucifixion, we see Jesus cry out in words, but right now we see God the Father crying out in action. The first thing that he does is he tears the temple in two. It says, at that moment, so when Jesus gave up his spirit, it says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Now, if you don't know much about first century Judaism and the second temple and what it, how it was constructed, you might think, like, what does a curtain have to do with anything? 
Well, first you have to understand what the temple meant to the people of God. The temple was God's dwelling place. It was like the control room of the whole entire world. I was thinking about it. If you can think about like the world is like a plane. If the world is like a plane, then the temple is the cockpit. And the Holy of Holies, the place where God dwells, that's the pilot seat. That's the place where God is directing the world. Well, the Holy of Holies was the central part of the temple. So you had the Holy of Holies, and then out from that you had the holy place. And then out from that you had uh, the courts, the, the court for the men, the court for the women, and the court for the Gentiles. So you had all these different layers. And depending on who you were, that's what depended, or that's what dictated how close you could get to God. So if you were just a common person, you could only come so far. If you were a priest or a Levite, you could actually get to the Holy of Holies. But the only person you could go into the holy, or sorry, you could get to the holy place. The only person you could get into the Holy of Holies was the high priest. And even then, only once a year. The Holy of, the Ho- the holy of Holies is the place where God dwelt. And it was separated from the rest of the temple by a curtain. And not just any curtain, but a thick curtain, an embroidered curtain, a beautiful curtain, a thick, heavy curtain. And the fact that it was torn in two from the top to the bottom, from God's end of the curtain down. See, this curtain was 60 feet high. And so for it to tear from the top to the bottom, this is God doing it. The curtain was set up to separate God's portion from humanity, to keep God's holiness secure from sinfulness. And when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain, that barrier was torn in two so that everybody who believes in him, everyone who follows Jesus, can follow him through this curtain that's been torn. Because Jesus died on the cross, because he gathered sin in one place and hung it on the cross, because he is our king who represents us, because he is the righteous sacrifice, we have been reconciled to our Father in heaven. The temple curtain has been torn into. We have access to God now. If we will follow Jesus, we have access to God the Father, the creator of everything the creator of the heavens and the earth. This is how Jesus takes care of sin. He has set us free from the pain of sin. We no longer have to feel guilt about the horrible things that we have done. The times when we've cheated people, the times when we've done horrible things, said horrible things, we, never have, we don't have to feel the guilt about those anymore. We don't have to wear the shame of that anymore. We don't have to continue to beat ourselves up because of the things we've done that we wish we could go back and change. I was thinking about it this week. I was reminded of what I was like in college. I used to drink a lot, especially on the weekends. I was drunk just about every weekend. And I look back at that and I am ashamed. I regret the things that I did the ways I treated people, the stupid stuff I said, the stupid things I did. I wish I could go back and change them. But I realize as I'm studying this passage that that part of my life does not define me. 
because of Jesus, because of his death on the cross, that is not who I am. I am forgiven. I'm utterly forgiven, and I am a child of God now because of it. I'm a new creation, to use Paul's words. I'm a new person. There's been times when Tracy said, man, I can't even imagine what you would have been back then. But here's the thing. There's nothing I did that earned it. I didn't earn this place, this, this connection with God. It was a free gift. When Jesus died on the cross, it was grace to me. But that's not that I would ever for a moment take it for granted. Not that I would take it for granted thinking that I can just, you know, keep on sinning because God will just forgive me. That's never what grace was intended for. That's an abuse of grace. But I realize that God has set me free. He set me free from sin and regret. He set me free from sin itself by dying on the cross. I am reconciled to the God who created everything. I can actually approach God, our Father in heaven, through prayer. I've been set free. And it's true, there are things I, I regret, like I've said. I wish I could go back to my younger self and say, Jason, man, this is not how life works. Fitting in with your friends, doing this to fit in with people, it's not worth it. And when you get older, you're going to regret all this drunkenness, all the things that you say and do. But I'm realizing this week, especially as I'm studying, as I'm reading Jesus and his death on the cross, remembering that he died on the cross for us, that we have been set free. You have been set free. You have been set free from the guilt and shame of sin. Amen. All of us have been set free. We are a new creation in Christ the moment we begin believing into him. The moment we begin believing into him, all the stuff that we've done, the things that we regret, the things we're ashamed of, all that stuff is gone. It no longer defines who we are. And sure, it remains a part of our past, but that's where it stays, our past. This is amazing news, whether you've been following Jesus for 60 years or if you're here today still seeking. You have been set free through Christ, through his death on the cross. But the passage keeps going. God keeps responding. It says that the earth shook like an earthquake and the stones were cracked open. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but just to say that it shows us that when humanity fell, when we rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden and sin broke into this world, it actually broke the world. And we catch a glimpse here that recreation will be healed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. That Jesus' death on the cross was not just to save us spiritually, as though it did, but also to change the world, to redeem all of creation. And now we get into the supernatural part. Now we get into the part where it says that the tombs broke open and bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. I realized again this week that on the cross, when Jesus died on the cross, death died with him. When Jesus died on the cross, death died with him. The tomb has been opened. The holy ones who had died before, they've been raised to life. We get a taste. 
we catch just a glimpse of what it will be like one day when we are all resurrected, when we are given resurrection bodies. It's been interesting for me this week reflecting on this passage, and it was with the help of uh, Professor Dale Bruner and his commentary on Matthew. He was saying, Jason, or not, he didn't say Jason, but he was saying that look at this passage, that we realize that not only does the cross extend around the world so that whether you are a follower of Jesus in Jerusalem or New Jersey or Jakarta, believing into him brings you into God's kingdom. The cross spreads that far. But not only that, the cross also spreads that deep, both into history and into the future. That These holy people, those holy ones, as it says in Matthew's gospel, they were looking for the Messiah. They were faithfully following God and anticipating the Messiah. It's amazing to me that, it, that God raised them as well. Because often people ask, like, what about all the people who died before Jesus? Especially those who were following God. And we see an example of it here, and it made me think of how, how Moses and Elijah, how they appeared on the mountain with Jesus, these holy ones. They still had bodies. People like Peter recognized them, who they were. So the cross reaches into history, and thank God it reaches into future, so that even us now, 2,000 years after Jesus died, we too can believe into him and have eternal life. We too can be saved. So I was fascinated. It was amazing to me to think about the effect of the cross, that it goes not only around the world, but also into history and into the future. Okay, but some of you might be thinking, some of you have been following Jesus for a while. You kind of have heard this before, but maybe some of you are new and you're wondering, okay, how did Jesus' death on a cross, how does that kill death, right? What's happening here? Well, death, death was a consequence of sin. In the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, God created humanity and they dwelt in, in, an, in a garden called Eden. And there they ate from the tree of life. They lived forever. There was no death in Eden. Until Adam and Eve, they ate from this tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the one thing. That was the one restriction, the one command God had given them. Not like the one, but the one restriction, the one thing he said, do not do this. He said, do not eat from this tree. They eat from that tree. They rebel against God. Sin enters the world People are separated from God, and death enters. Death becomes a consequence of that sin, of that original, that first sin, when all of humanity and all of creation fell away from God. So death is a consequence. And some of you might be thinking like, man, that's a steep consequence for eating some fruit, right? Well, it wasn't just the fact that they ate the fruit, it was the fact that they rebelled against God. And you start thinking about this, that maybe death, yeah, it's a steep consequence. Like I said, sin comes with consequence. But also, too, maybe it's grace. Extreme grace, but grace. Can you imagine what it would be like to live forever, going through life, piling up one sin after another? Forever. How horrible that would be. How twisted and ugly we would be. So when I think about it, death... It's a steep consequence, but at the same time, maybe it's the best consequence. So you see how when Jesus dies on the cross, 
He solves sin like we talked about a few minutes ago. And because he solved sin, he has defeated death. Death is the consequence of sin. And if Jesus has fixed our issue with sin, then we don't have to die anymore. And I've always thought about Jesus' death on the cross was added on to us, or living forever was added on to us. So Jesus dies on the cross, and one of the benefits we get is we get eternal life with God. But I'm realizing it in a new way this week that not only is that true, because Jesus did rise again, and we get to rise with him, death does not, we, we will not die. Not only do I realize that it is an addition onto us, but it's also because Jesus is fixing the issue with sin. Because he has fixed the problem with sin, we no longer have to die. You add that together with the fact that because he rose again, that we can rise again too. That fixes, that sets us free from our fear of death. See here, it says that um, the saints rising, it comes out of, uh, they came out of the tombs, and it's, it reminds us that this taste that we get, this preview of God raising people up. It says that they came out of the tombs, and after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, I want to say this. This was not a zombie horde invading Jerusalem, Okay. People would recognize them, these saints. They would look like people. Because think about it, when Jesus appeared to his disciples, even after he rose again, they recognized him. They, they were terrified because they had never seen anybody rise from the dead before. But they recognized him. He had, hand, he had holes in his hands, holes in his side from his crucifixion, but they still knew it was Jesus. I say this to encourage us for those who mourn the loss of loved ones. That there is still hope. There is still joy. Knowing that death is not the end for us. It does not have to be the end. And there is especially hope in the resurrection. I was talking with a friend of mine this week. He'd been reading about heaven. And he was saying, he was saying Jason, we will have bodies he pointed out to me about Moses and Elijah, about Jesus, about people who have been, who have been seen after their death. They have bodies. Because he always thought about, like, we go to heaven and we're like, uh, we're like lights or spirits that are up there. You realize that in the scriptures, we have a body. Not only that, but God is coming again to make a new heaven and a new earth here. So I say that because it is encouraging for us. The resurrection... It's not that people are going to be walking around with rotten zombie bodies, but glorious heavenly bodies made new. And because of what Jesus has done, we don't have to be afraid of death anymore. He has set us free from the fear of death. Because he has set us free from the fear of death, we can live life differently right now. Think about that for a second. Because he has set us free from the fear of death, we can live life differently right now. We don't have to mistreat any people anymore because we're afraid that we might die. We don't have to hoard everything that we have to make life more pleasant here because we know that we have a life eternal with God. We don't have to use people in this world now 
hoping to somehow make it better for us because we know that we have a, a home in heaven with our Father. Think about this for a second. The more you fear death, the less you live life. The more you fear death, the less you live life. That is a convicting word for me. But here's the thing. Jesus has set us free. When he died on the cross, he set us free. And this week I've been thinking about the words he said in Capernaum when he was preaching in the synagogue. And he said, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed and proclaim the sovereign year of the Lord. Jesus came to set us free, to set us free from the effects of sin and the fear of death. Because Jesus died on the cross, we are set free to share what God has given us with others, to serve people that the rest of the world would rather just throw away. Because Jesus has set us free from the fear of death, we don't have to hoard all of our stuff trying to make life right now as pleasurable as it can be before we die. We can store up treasure in heaven, as Jesus talked about. Because we've been set free from the fear of death. Jesus has changed everything with his death on the cross. The implications are as broad as they are deep. It changes everything. He set us free from the pain of sin and the fear of death. Now it comes down to the real question. How do we respond to this reality, right? What do we do with this? Do we file this away in our memory somewhere and walk out and have a coffee and move on with life? It's my prayer for us. I've been praying it this week that we would embrace this truth, this new reality, or this reminder of this reality that Jesus has set us free. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, I pray that this week, this truth, this reality would affect your life and that you would repent and redevote your life to following Jesus. I know that I am. And if you're here this morning and you still have questions about Jesus, you're still unsure about who he is and if you want to follow him or not, I pray that today that you would realize what he's done on the cross, that you would begin following him and devote your life to following him. That today would be the new day. Today you would become a new creation in him. You too would repent and begin following him. Imagine what this would be like in our church in our family gathered here. How beautiful it would be. I was remembering a video that we watched just a couple months ago. Uh, I'm sure all of you remember it too. <laughs> um, Hugh Halter, a pastor from the States, he was saying, you know, I think it was always assumed that as Christians we would live such beautiful lives that people would be knocking on our door trying to figure out how we do it. People will be calling us, asking us for lunch, asking us to get together so they could figure out how we got over this pain of, of sin and this fear of death. I think if we hear this passage this morning, of Jesus' death on the cross and the way that God our Father responded, that we realize that God has set us free 
from the pain of sin and the fear of death that our lives would be changed. I pray that this morning, for those who are new, who are still questioning about Jesus, that today would be the day that you realize he has set us free from, from the pain of sin and the fear of death. And for those of you who have been a Christian for a while, I pray that it would sink a bit deeper into our lives, that we too would live, even, we'd live lives that are even more beautiful in front of our community. Imagine how this begins to change us, the way that we live as a church, the way that we bless people in our community, the way that we live out the kingdom of God here. This is the amazing news this morning, and I pray, I pray that we take it deeper into our lives. This good news that Jesus on the cross, he set us free from the pain of sin and the fear of death. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, Lord God, I give you thanks.